My dog shits cash. Part two. Mum, dad, and the rest. Three hours later, and the first alarm on Nathan's phone rang out. His mouth opened, but he didn't wake. Winnie's ears pricked up. She watched the phone crawl across the coffee table. With each vibration, it hummed its way to the edge, looked set to topple. Winnie licked Nathan's ears, tried to clean away the dirt that wasn't there. The phone vibrated once more. She licked again, and once more. The phone slipped over the edge and smacked against Nathan's open mouth, cracking on his teeth, then falling to the floor. Nathan's body shivered with life as he groaned, red eyes opening and searching. Oh no, he croaked, pushing his fingers into his eyes. Bright? Too bright? When he grumbled, her tail gently swaying, Nathan's hands fell from his eyes. Winnie? he said, blindly reaching out. Reassuringly, she rested her head in his hand. She blinked. It felt like butterflies in his palm. He ran his hand over her ears and to the collar, down to the metal tag. Nathan recognised the tag purely by the way it felt in his fingers. The same one she'd had when he last saw her. The same one he'd bought for her when she was a puppy. Where am I? Here, she replied. You're here. Oh no, Nathan said again, before silently closing his eyes and dreaming of. Winnie! The Border Collie, black and white with nutmeg-brown eyebrows and fluffy enough to leave a trail of fur on every surface she touched. She was old, too, must have been twenty, and should be dead right now if she were a normal dog. But Winnie, short for Winifred, was no standard off-the-rack bitch. She was something special. For one, she could communicate with Nathan via a psychic connection. Not many dogs can say that, not many dogs can even speak. For two, she could talk in more than one language, and at one point in time had taught the little girl down the street how to speak Japanese. It was nothing complicated, just the phonetics and characters of the hiragana alphabet, but that's nothing to be sniffed at, which was also something that Winnie was pretty good at. Winnie and the child had developed a series of flashcards. Winnie would point at a random one, and the girl would look upon the foreign curves and lines and speak them aloud. If correct, she got a treat. The girl, I mean. For Winnie, Spreading knowledge was reward enough. Little Michaela was by no means fluent after her six months of lessons with Winnie, but she got a head start in her Japanese language learning journey she wouldn't have gotten from her useless stupid pet cat who, as far as we know, never taught Michaela jack shit. For three, Winnie didn't seem to age. Not since reaching five years old. If she did, she aged extremely slowly. For four, growing up as an awkward teenager who couldn't bear to make eye contact with other human beings, she had been Nathan's best friend. And, for five, when Nathan needed it, she had let him go. Winnie wasn't the only dog in Nathan's life. He was actually very familiar with dogs. In fact, Nathan was raised by dogs. Maybe that's overstating it. He wasn't raised by them, but he grew up around a lot of them. His parents were there, of course. They gave birth to him like any regular parents would. He was breastfed, clothed, wiped, bathed and spoken to like any human child should be. But not long after his eldest sister moved out of the family home to go to university, 
to study criminology or something. His mum freaked out. The separation anxiety was too much. There were tears, emotional ups and downs, and that one time Nathan came downstairs to find her trapped in a jacket. The zip stuck, she wailed, sat on the kitchen floor and coring the heels of her hands into her eyes, hitching breaths and a moment away from a panic attack. I'm stuck. This is my life now, Nate. I am no longer your mum, but just one more woman trapped in a jacket. Nathan managed to unzip and release his mum from the clutches of her raincoat. It wasn't that hard. But even free of the jacket, she cried, went to bed and cried some more. There were no dinners cooked and no cups of tea made. There were no questions of how was your school today, Nathan, and no goodbye hugs or hello kisses. There was only the scrunched up paper face and the sound of her heart tearing apart in thin strips. At some point in time, perhaps a month or two later, his dad had fought to cure her depression when he brought home a puppy. On the face of it, a good idea, but in actuality the biggest mistake of Nathan's father's life. The puppy was a German shepherd and was suitably named Shepherd, and he stuck to Nathan's mother like she was made of gravy bones. With him in the home, his mother's emotional roller coaster evened out a little. There were fewer tears and more laughter. She treated Shepard like he was her oxygen, never leaving his side for fear of suffocating in the harsh atmosphere of life without. He slept on the bed by her side, ate with her, had a habit of humping her leg, and he growled at Nathan's father if he ever looked at her. And she spoke to him every day, whispering in his ear and calling him her baby, even though he was not a baby. He was a dog. One day, Nathan came downstairs to make himself a sandwich and found her trying to teach him how to stand on his hind two legs, whispering sweetly in his ear about how people walked. But Shepard wasn't bipedal, and no amount of whispering and dog treats were going to change his evolutionary bias. That wasn't enough for his mother though, who only three weeks later ordered Nathan's dad to get another dog. This time it was an old Jack Russell Terrier who had cataracts as thick as Nathan's toenails. It was a mean little dog, but it had no teeth. Its bark, however, was deadly. The poor thing barked so loud one evening, it scared itself and died instantly of a heart attack. Nathan's father buried it in the loose soil in the garden. He placed a small rock on top and wrote Jack on it with a marker pen, even doodled a little picture of the dog on it. Quickly though, Nathan's mother got another dog, and then another, and then another. It was as though she was still drowning in her jacket, her life, and with every dog she was clawing her way out, desperate to breach the surface for air but sinking deeper and deeper into her newfound obsession. There was Buddy, the sweet brown mixture of things that would wander into the bathroom and stare at a prepubescent Nathan in the shower and on the toilet. And of course there was Jess, the husky with no tail, docked by the previous owner, and Samuel, the pug with prolapsed eyes that bounced against its front paws, and the white Pomeranian who barked and sounded like a small French man-eating croissants. And yes, there was the forever sleeping beagle, and the chihuahua from another dimension, and the Labrador who could only accept commands given to him if they were in Spanish, and the Shih Tzu who would dance to black metal, and Duke, the Great Dane who sometimes wandered into people's dreams, just went in uninvited, 
disturbing Nathan's teenage wet dreams with curious eyes and encouraging barks and invasive tongues. More and more and more of them. More and more. More. Before Nathan knew it, they had over 30 dogs of varying sizes and smells, and his dad couldn't be in the same room as his mother without Shepard and his flock forcing him away, snapping and barging him out of the kitchen, claiming his mother for their own, and she didn't mind one bit. The dogs took over the kitchen first before storming into the hallway, and then the living room, the stairs, and the bathroom. There were bacteria breaching the petri dish, spreading, taking over the entire house, eating Nathan's shoes and using his clothes as bedding, leaving a buildup of fur and dander on every surface. The dogs were everywhere but Nathan's bedroom. That was out of bounds. The mood in the house shifted once more when Jess the Husky gave birth to a litter of seven. The dogs had never been all too comfortable with Nathan's dad's presence but were less so with the newborns around. One night, with bloodied bite marks on his hands, Nathan's dad came into his bedroom and sat down on the end of his bed. The creaking bed springs woke him. The dogs, his dad whispered, rubbing his hurt hand. I can't, I can't fit on the bed anymore. The dogs have taken my side of the bed. Slowly waking and annoyed at having to do so at such an hour, Nathan asked his father what the time was. I don't, I don't, I don't know anymore he said. Nathan rubbed his eyes until he could make sense of his bedside clock. It's 3am, Dad. Is it? His dad wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. Sorry, Nate, I've uh, not been sleeping all that great myself. Feel a little, uh, a little lost. Facing the bare wall, glassy-eyed, his dad continued. You know, I think Shepard wants to kill me. And not in a reactionary way. Whenever I catch him staring, he just looks at me, you know, like he's running my death through his mind, like he's watching a movie. His dad let out a half-hearted chuckle, sniffed. (laughs) Peculiar, isn't it? As if a dog would want to murder me. Nathan didn't answer. He was drifting back to sleep, but again his father woke him. Did you know that dogs don't see colours? I read about it. (laughs) Dumb dogs. Also, also, dogs can't associate a picture of something with the real thing. Which is weird because all the photos of me and your mum have been chewed up, but just the bits with me on them. Dad, I'm tired, Nate. Well, do something then. This is your house, isn't it? Go and do something. I need to get some sleep. I'm 13, Dad, and it's a school night. Nathan's father licked the wounds on his hand and then nodded. Are you mad at me, Nathan? No. No, I'm not mad. His father stood and puffed up his chest. You're right. You're bloody right. Nothing is right at this time, Dad. Only sleep is correct. Wiping his salivating mouth again, his father left the bedroom and went downstairs. Nathan traced his father's movements by the growls and yipping barks of the disturbed sleeping dogs, listened as his father opened the front door, closed it, and the sound of a car driving away, rumbling into the night time. And Nathan never, ever saw his father again. Until the following morning, that is. 
Awoken by the sunrise and the sound of hammering nails in wood, Nathan looked out of his bedroom window to see his father in the garden wearing nothing but his pants and a threadbare vest top, his pale and wiry limbs struggling to prop up the rest of him. Bits of wood and tools lay scattered in the grass next to what appeared to be a small wooden house. On its front there was a little door painted in black and white stripes, its sides made from sandalwood panels and covered over with a felt roof. And hanging from a string on a nail was a sign next to a door with chalk painted paw prints, leaving space for a name. It was a house for the dogs, or a dog house. His father hammered down the far corner of the felt roof before mopping the sweat from his brow. He looked up to Nathan's window and waved. Nathan didn't wave back. A shameful bubble of pity foamed in his gut. Nathan left for school that morning to the sounds of his father's laughter, hideous and personal and victorious and foolish, and the hammering and hammering and hammering, and then returned home that evening to tears, a bag of clothes and belongings sitting at the front of the house, and his dad saying, Just let me speak to her. I need to speak to my wife. The front door was open, but heavily guarded by a wall of dogs. They looked like prisoners who'd overrun the jail. They stood looking out from the windows, the sides of the house, the front door. There was an army of eyes and snouts peering out from beneath curtains behind bushes from under the car. They were an impassable pack, unwilling to budge even an inch. Nathan's dad screamed out for, Judy! But nobody answered. Judy was Nathan's mother's name, by the way. I made the doghouse for them, his dad shouted. For them! From the front door emerged Shepherd's wet and dark snout. It sniffed once, twice, and then, with a single orthorial bark, the pack sprang to life. They herded Nathan's dad and carried his bags down the garden, across the patio, and into the doghouse he'd built only that morning. They didn't stop grumbling and nipping until Nathan's dad had climbed all the way inside. They barked and barked until there was a locking click sound, and his father saying, Okay, okay, okay! With his dad locked away, the dog's mood instantly lightened. Their tails swayed as they greeted Nathan with sniffs and licks, allowing him to pass through and into the house, somewhere in which Nathan's mother was. He just hadn't a clue where. He hadn't seen her for a week, by then. He had heard her, and had seen evidence of her existence, but never her. It was as if she'd slipped into a reality adjacent to Nathan's, left him alone to fend for himself, or perhaps to quietly mother him from the shadows of a peripheral dimension. Still, through the cloying dog stink of the house Nathan searched, the mass of fur and tails and snouts parted like a red and brown and black and white sea allowing him to pass through first into the living room and then the kitchen and then up the stairs into his mother's bedroom. But she was not there. There was only the dogs. Always only the dogs. Numbness and frustration sparked in his fingertips and he called for her, called for his mummy, like he did when he was a child. But there was no response, only the quiet din of yawning and panting and lapping tongues. He checked the house several times over went to each room and shouted for her, 
each time feeling like he'd stepped into a room that his mother had a moment ago stepped out of. Eventually, giving up, he headed up the stairs and into his bedroom, his only solace from the dogs. He threw his school bag down and sat on his X-Men bedsheets, felt like he was lost on some distant island. He ran his fingers through his hair over and over, petted his own head. His eyes welled with tears, but he didn't cry. He was too distracted by the puppy climbing out from beneath his bed. The little thing yawned and stretched and fell onto its side. It climbed up to its feet, saw Nathan's hands and went to his fingers. Through its puppy drunk state it found him, licked him and nibbled, tail wagging furiously left to right, nearly toppling itself over. Unsure where it came from but not quite willing to venture out into the sea of dogs to find out, Nathan tickled and played with the little puppy. Settling in with the bundle of fur curled on his stomach, Nathan felt something deep within his skull shudder. What's your name? he asked the puppy. And to his surprise, it replied. Winnie, Nathan said, furiously brushing his teeth. Where did you come from? From the old house. Mum and Dad's? Yes. Why? To find you. Nathan spat toothpaste into the sink. But I'm lonely. You can't just intrude on a man's loneliness. It's rude. I'm a dog. Dogs don't know the concept of rude. Dogs can't smile and yet somehow, Winnie was doing it. That's because most dogs don't know you any better. You do. Okay. Nathan's head still throbbed with each telepathic ping of communication, but the pill he'd found on the counter seemed to dampen the pain. He checked his watch before splashing himself with cold water and patting down a rogue lock of hair. Winnie grumbled playfully and Nathan petted her side. He didn't mean to, but his fingers worked against him, threaded themselves through her fur before he could stop them. He took his traitor fingers and waterboarded them under a flannel and a cold tap. On the TV, which was on mute, there was a man on the news. His mouth moved silently as he chewed the air with great seriousness. Whatever he was talking about, it looked bad and probably was about how the world was broken. The camera switched to footage of soldiers and explosions before going back to the serious man and his goldfish mouth, and then to a woman doing a robot dance while she did the weather report. She popped as she forecasted strong winds from the north, locked as she confirmed high risk of rain in the south, and then performed a series of arm waves as she pointed to Nathan's region. On the map on the screen, I mean, not through the screen. Looks like it's going to be a windy one, Win. Better take a coat. Nathan checked his watch again. He opened his cupboard and scooped up a pair of trousers from the bottom. Only when he'd pulled them all the way up did he realise they weren't trousers but jeans. And they weren't his. They were hers. Oh, he said. Oh, what? No, it's, it's uh, nothing. She must have left these here, he thought. Feeling the skinny, fit woman's jeans cutting off the circulation to his feet. Winnie whined and Nathan's brainstem shivered again and he turned back to her and her tail wagged a single time, slapped against the sofa. She moved her head to his knee and whimpered. He couldn't help but place his hand on her neck and scratch it. Once again he checked his watch. It's been a long time, Winnie said. A long, long time. 
You can't stay, you know. I'm an adult now. I don't have time to play with my childhood dog. I've got serious stuff to do now. I have a job, and I have bills to pay, and I have to go on dates and find a wife. I'm a grown-up. No more rolling around and doing lots of nothing. No more. As if to prove his point, Nathan zipped up his fly. I'm a man now? He didn't mean to add the mouse squeak, but the jeans were particularly tight around his groin. Winnie huffed. <clears throat> Seriously, Win, Nathan said, pushing his voice back down to its normal register. You can't stay. I won't. Nathan slipped on a pair of plimsolls, grabbed the coat and opened the apartment door. Well, he said, pointing to the open hallway. Winnie's head tilted to the side. Go on. She padded to him, stopped before the doorway. Come on, Win. I'm going to be late for work. She stepped into the hallway. Once outside the apartment building, Nathan turned right, heading towards the office. He told Winnie to go left, back towards his parents' house, but she didn't turn left. Together, wordlessly, they both turned right. Somewhere else, across town. A tennis ball rolled onto a patch of dew-soaked grass. Crisp autumnal sunlight soaked the open fields and a thick mist hung a foot above the ground. From the cops of trees an owl hooted, a squirrel scrambled up a silver birch and out came a dog. Not Winnie, this was a different dog. This was a golden retriever living up to its name, being golden and uh, retrieving. It came and it scooped up the tennis ball before returning it to the dog walker, who barely noticed as the dog dropped the ball down by his boots. Too busy, was the dog walker, scrolling through the horror show of his Twitter feed. Too busy he was, being bold and 42, and wanting to be anywhere but with his dog on this cold and moist October morning. Really? he said to his phone. Really? The dog's tail pinned back, ready for action ready for the ball to be thrown. It took a moment, but eventually the dog walker noticed before perfunctorily scooping up the tennis ball and throwing it deeper into the field. Again, the golden retriever exploded into action and chased the ball, which this time rolled into the tall, uncut grass by the side of a dirt road. Somewhere across the way, a jogger in an orange highlighter-bright jacket ran by, aiming for a personal best, huffing, pumping, the jogger passed by a parked van, a Ford Transit, cream-coloured, with a picture of a cartoon chihuahua painted on the side. Beneath it were the words, The Brothers Chihuahua. And in slightly smaller writing, For real, walking, grooming, we do it all. We're barking mad, we're off the chain, we don't do cats. The van's headlights were on, the engine idling. From the passenger side, a man stepped out cracked his knuckles. The golden retriever didn't pick up the ball this time. Instead, it felt the sudden urge to squat down and squeeze out its morning shit. The owner, lost somewhere in his Facebook feed, wandered towards the dog. When he noticed what his dog was doing, he clicked his tongue and said, Oh, bloody hell, Max. Couldn't you shit somewhere where I wouldn't have to pick it up? Max, the retriever, left the steaming brown mass on a bed of fallen leaves and trotted back to the dog walker. Part of the dog walker wanted to ignore it, let somebody else clean it up. He thought that there might be some nutrients in there that the foxes might appreciate. Who says that cleaning up your dog's excrement was good for the environment anyway? 
because with the craziness of the weather and the melting ice gaps and the flooding cities and that, shouldn't they be doing everything they can to save the environment? Shouldn't they be making the most of the dog shit, letting it act as some sort of manure or building materials for ants or whatever? Why should he be so selfish and clean up that dog shit? Even as he tried to justify not cleaning it up, he put his phone in his pocket and pulled out a roll of blue plastic bags. He snapped one off the end. It was a £75 fine for fouling after all. Saving the planet was too expensive. Threading his hand inside the bag like a doctor prepping for a cavity search, the dog walker looked down at the steaming load. Holding his breath, he reached down, his back popping, knees cracking, him grunting. Whoa, whoa! Friend, stop! The voice came from somewhere behind him. It sounded like a waiter in a cheap European restaurant asking to take his order. The dog walker pushed himself back up and into a standing position and looked at the man. A short man. Very short. He could have been a bona fide little person if he tried a little harder. The man's boots squelched with each step. His oversized overalls billowed in the wind. I'm picking it up, the dog walker said. Don't worry, I wasn't going to leave it. No, uh, whoa, uh, no, 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 no. I told you, I admit, I thought about not picking it up, but I changed my mind. I'm going to pick it up. The little man in the overalls caught up to the dog walker and awkwardly forced his face into a smiling configuration. The bold man reached for this shit, but the little man waved him back as he pulled a small plastic bag from a roll fixed to his belt. There were several other tools fixed to his belt too, what looked like a dog brush, some nail clippers and a small pair of scissors. Don't you worry about it, said the little man. I got this one. Both the dog and the dog walker looked quizzically at the man. You've got what one? No problemo, this one is on me. The man pushed his hand into the plastic bag and then reached down, eyeing the retriever as he did so, giving it a cheeky wink. The dog's tail stopped wagging. The man grabbed a handful of the dog shit and held it up. Instead of reversing the bag, tying off the end and throwing it into the bin, which was the standard practice, he stood there and inspected the shit as if trying to read the dog's fortune. The dog and the owner glanced at one another. The little man began to squeeze the shit, mushing it up, separating chunks deep in concentration, making a couple of, hmm, noises. Not finding what he was after, he squatted down, searched for any other chunks hiding in the grass. No, he said, dropping it down and picking up a loose nugget and smushing it. No! The dog dropped the tennis ball and backed away. The little man's smile disappeared. What, um, what's happening? said the dog walker. This is just shit, the man said, frustration flashing through him. He dropped the shit to the floor, let the bag fall from his hand. He stood taller than before, seemed to grow as he stepped towards the owner, biting down on his lip, squaring up to him, looked ready to hit him in the face, with his own face. That was just shit. The dog walker withered, struggled to speak. Well, uh, what, what did you expect? The dog walker chuckled uncomfortably, and the little man, spit foaming on his lip, grabbed handfuls of the owner's coat and pulled him down to meet his gaze. You think I'm uh, looking here for shit? You take me for some sort of joke, eh? Some sort of dog shit hungry cunt, eh? The dog walker swallowed. No, uh, I didn't think. No, you didn't think. That's your problem, is it? Isn't it? Is it? Or isn't it? I don't know your problems, friend. I've never met you before. 
my uh, my wife. That's what she says. I never think, oh, I see. Now you're showing up because you've got a wife. No, I, I wasn't. You think I can't get a wife because I'm short, right? Life, it's a body locks. I could get a wife if I wanted a wife. I'm fighting them off, friend. Wives, I mean. All the time. Bish, bash. Too many to name. You, you bish, bash, friend? You bish, bash, bosh with lots of wives, eh? The bubble of spit lifted off, landed on the dog walker's left eyeball. N- no. What then? The dog barked, and the little man looked down at the golden retriever with such vitriol that its tail tucked between its legs. I, uh, yes? I want me to rough you up, friend. Not rough. I didn't mean to do a pun then. I meant to say, want me to rough you up. <laughs> I, I can't help it if rough and rough are homophones, can I? What's what's a uh, what's a homophone? Holy fucky shit! Uh, you're dumb as well as bold. I'm I'm not sure. I don't I don't think so. What? Wait a sec. Look, mate. I didn't mean nothing about you not having a wife. I I was being silly, is all. Silly? Yeah. Just a silly billy. The little man softened. Silly billy, he said, letting go of the man's coat, patting it down. Silly fucking billy. The little man looked back to the dog walker, seemed overwhelmed with regret. He picked up the tennis ball, brushed it against his chest like he was dusting off an apple. Okay, billy. No worries. No worries at all. But next time, you clean it up yourself, okay? There's a £75 fine if you don't. You know that. There was a honk from the van still parked up, and all three of them looked over. The van rolled towards them. Another honk. The little man sighed, half-heartedly threw the ball to the dog. It didn't go very far. Well, uh, you have a good day now, okay? And be sure to get in touch for all your grooming and walking needs. He handed the dog walker a business card that had the same... Brother's Chihuahua logo printed on it, along with the name Paolo Chihuahua. The little man didn't wait to hear a response from the dog walker, just jogged back to the van, left the man and the dog and the ball and the shit, now in pieces on the ground. You've been listening to My Dog Shits Cash, written and narrated by me, Luke Condor, with music by myself, as to Crondo, Chris Zabriskie, Ben Duncan, and End Arch Rival. Sound effects were provided by freesound.org and zapsplat.com. For more of my work, head over to lukecondor.com, that's Condor with a K. Uh, be sure to leave a review, tell your friends, and look after your mind and your pets. Until next time.